Welcome to the Block Ops Bitcoin and Crypto Mining Podcast. This is your host, Block Ops. It's Friday, December 6th of 2019, and I'm going to talk about cooling today. One of the questions I get a lot is, why don't I use immersion cooling? Because people that don't do mining, they see that people make these fancy immersion cooling rigs, and they say they're 20 to 30% more efficient, and they assume that everybody who does industrial-scale mining should be doing immersion cooling because it's more efficient. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, and then I'll talk about the type of cooling that I recommend. And first off, when you talk about cooling, you, you got to understand some basics about thermodynamics. So if you want to have a steady state system, which is a system that will operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and mine continuously, the amount of energy that comes into the system has to be equal to the amount of energy that goes out. Most of the energy that comes into the system is in the form of electricity that goes into the mining machines and gets converted into heat and a little bit of computation. Some of the energy that comes into the system is for sunlight. Uh, it's not as much as comes in through electricity and generated by heat, uh, but we've got to take that into account as well. The amount of energy that comes in, people don't really understand how much heat it generates and that that heat has to be removed for the system to operate in steady state. So I'm going to use uh, one of the newer ASIC miners that's coming out, the Bitmain S1773 TeraHash. It's got good specs. It uses about 3,000 watts. You need to provide about 400 cubic feet per minute of airflow through it to be able to cool the system properly if you're using air. And 400 cubic feet per minute is about the same as 11 uh, cubic meters per minute. So. We can go back and forth between feet and meters uh, for our international audience. Okay, so immersion cooling, you know what? It might be more efficient. So the idea behind immersion cooling is instead of having air flowing past the devices on the board that generate heat, put a fluid, because uh, any of you that have you know, defrosted something knows that if you put something on the counter and it air defrosts, it can take a certain amount of time, but if you put it in water in the sink, it defrosts a lot quicker. That's because the heat transfer from the device to a liquid is a lot more efficient than the heat transfer to air. This type of liquid that's used in immersion cooling doesn't conduct electricity, but the heat still has to be removed. So one of the things that is important is to not only set up a system that can run and operate, but to set up a system that doesn't cost a lot and will continue to operate for years and also not be too complex so that if you need to repair or replace or upgrade miners, it's very straightforward to do. So that's why I don't use immersion cooling. First off, the upfront cost is, is a lot higher. Next is, each of the mining machines needs to be altered with fans removed, custom firmware on it to be able to operate in a fanless environment uh, and things like that. And then if I want to do maintenance or change things out or upgrade things, I have to take the devices out of the immersive fluid, do the maintenance, and then put it back in, which complicates things. But even so, Immersive fluid is not a panacea. It's just a way of getting heat transferred from one way to another. So what you're looking to do is get the heat transferred on the hash boards of the mining machines out of the building or the container or whatever it is that you're using. And if you put all the heat into immersive fluid, 
First of all, you've got to recirculate that fluid at a rate that goes through past each of the hash boards at a high enough speed that the differential temperature from going into the miner and out of the miner doesn't become too much. Uh, so when we talk about cooling, we talk about differential temperatures. With air, it's differential pressure. And so with immersive fluid, I'd have to set up a pumping system. So this pumping system would pump immersive fluid past all the miners, uh, hundreds or thousands of miners. So I'd have to make sure the right amount of immersive fluid would get past every, every miner. Then the immersive fluid has to go to something that transfers the heat outside. If I'm near a river, I can uh, send it through a pipe, a series of pipes, where the river cools off the immersive fluid. If I'm uh, not near a river, then I can send it to a heat exchanger outside where the hot immersive fluid sends its heat into the air outside and then comes back in cooled. So we have an immersive fluid cooling loop that then needs to go outside and get cooled off by the atmosphere. By doing that, we would get the electricity that comes in, turned into heat on the mining hash boards, transferred to the immersive fluid, and then uh, sent out to the heat exchanger outside. One of the things that causes system failure is complications. So the more complicated you make a system, the more possibilities there are for one of the items or one of the things in the system to break. And then your whole system shuts down and you gotta repair it. With an immersive fluid, there's a lot of complications. I don't even know how long an immersive fluid can be used. If it breaks down, if it has to be cleaned, uh, I'm sure there's people that have found it to work. But these 20 to 30% so-called efficiencies that you get from heat transfer in immersive fluid, to me, they quick, quickly evaporate. You lose those advantages by having to have a complex system with additional cost and a lot more complexity for breakdowns. So that's a long answer on why I don't use immersive fluid. The short answer is, I kind of think it's funny that when I tell people how we set up our mining system, the first thing they do is not ask details of what it is that we're doing or why we chose to do a particular thing. They throw something completely out there that we don't do and say, why don't you do it that way? Well, because we thought about it. We think about how to make the system better every single hour of every single day. And we do this month after month, year after year. Make tiny tweaks. When something breaks down, we try to figure out why something broke, what the root cause was, how we can prevent it from happening in the future, and working that into our operational procedures so we don't have a system breakdown in the future. Sure, there's many different ways that different mining organizations do cooling for their miners. I've seen lots of different ways, but the way I do it is the way that I've figured out works best for the situation that we're in. So let me talk about that. The amount of energy that comes in, like I said before, is truly staggering. So when you have hundreds or thousands of miners and you convert that into heat, that heat has to be removed. For this example, I'll use one of our buildings, which is sized for a little over one megawatt. That can fit about 400 of those S1773 uh, terahash. Uh, each of those uses about 3,000 watts. Oh, so when we talk about watts, watts is a unit of energy, and for, on the electrical side of things, you can get watts by uh, multiplying volts times current, times power factor if you want to be picky about it. But basically, in electricity, you have volt amps, and then you have watts on AC. So if you're just round numbering it, basically it's voltage times current 
times about 1.05, and that'll give you the watts for the system. The watts for your miner, then any energy that's used by your fans and other systems, and then energy contributed by solar. The sun shining on a roof, for example, is, is going to be about 1,200 watts per square meter. All that energy has to be removed. And in miners, the vast majority of that energy is converted to heat. If we want to look at, okay, how much airflow do we want to move past these miners in order to get the heat out of the miners? Well, one of the easiest things to do is look at what the airflow of the front and back fans add to the miners themselves. I'm just going to ratio out this from the Antminer S9, which is a 1500 watt system. That uses about 200 cubic feet per minute. So the Antminer S1773 uses about 400 cubic feet per minute or 11 cubic meters per minute. Well, if we want to do a lot more of those, say we want to do 400 of those S17s. Well, let's uh, multiply that 400 cubic feet per minute times 100. That gives us 40,000 cubic feet per minute. And then we multiply that times 4. That gives us 160,000 cubic feet per minute. So if we want the miners to operate efficiently, efficiently in a steady state way, we need to make sure that those 400 miners are provided with 160,000 cubic feet per minute of air so they don't, they're not starved for air and so they don't attempt to recirculate the air from the hot side to the cool side. Because if the air from the hot side of the miner recirculates back to the intake, then there'll be a positive feedback loop where the miner heats up more and more. And as you get to larger installations, sometimes there's funny airflow where the exhaust of some miners gets turned into the intake of other miners. So that's why in a lot of cases in different mining facilities, you'll see people put up HVAC, heating, ventilation, air conditioning boards to prevent airflow from recirculating on the hot side of the aisles to the cold side. Some people think that you want to put an insulation to prevent hot from going cold, but no, it's all about airflow. When you start getting into miners and removing heat, it's all about airflow. Air goes wherever you send it. I talked to some people, they're like, well, you know, hot air rises. Yes, hot air rises, and that is important on the outside of the building. When you bring in air into your building or container, you want to either bring it in on one side of the building and exhaust it on the other, or exhaust it out the roof because you don't want the hot air that goes out of your building getting pulled into the intakes of your building. When you see many containers lined up next to each other, you'll see that the containers are set up so that the exhaust of two containers will blow towards each other. So the container containers lined up next to each other will have hot aisles and cold aisles. On the hot side, the air will exhaust out of the two containers and then it'll rise up. And on the cold side, it'll go in. Now I've also seen some uh, mining facility designs that are really large abandoned warehouses. I'd love to have a large abandoned warehouse and they have some fans that bring in cold air and then they just have a large space above the miners where the, the hot air can rise and then go out uh, vents in the roofs or fans in the roof or something like that. A lot of people that are setting up purpose-specific buildings for minings or containers or things like that don't have the luxury of having large abandoned warehouses to use. But if you find one of those, that'd be nice. So there's a, a few things that go into setting up the cooling that you have to take into account. Because just like everything else, in business, in technology, the more you start to look into something, the more complicated it gets. If you're going to be bringing, 
in my example, 160,000 cubic feet per minute into a building, which is also the same as 4,400 cubic meters per minute. And this is for a, about a 1.2 megawatt setup. Then you want to bring air in that is cool enough to be able to cool the miners down so they don't overheat. Then as they go through the miners, it'll get raised in temperature. So if it's going through the miners properly, there'll be about a 20 degrees Fahrenheit, 20 to 30 degree Fahrenheit raise in temperature. I guess that's probably about a 10 to 15 degrees Celsius raise in temperature from one side to the other. Within that temperature raise, there's also a humidity drop. That's fine in the summer because usually summer it's warm air, there's lots of humidity in it. As the temperature goes up, then the humidity drops a little bit and it's no big deal. In the winter, that can actually be a problem because the air that comes in from the outside in the winter, as it's warmed up from the miners, it can drop in humidity significantly. Most data centers, uh, commercial data centers for servers that uh, big organizations run, they like to keep the humidity above 20%. I found that as long as you keep the humidity above 10 to 12%, you're going to be fine. Once you go below about 10% on the humidity, there can actually be problems with static electricity or other types of electrical issues that can damage your equipment. Pay attention to your humidity in the winter. For what we do in the winter is we, we reduce the airflow a little bit into the intake and then we open up a door so we allow some of the exhaust heat from the miners to go back to the intake so it warms it up a little bit because we don't want actually air that's too cold. So if you look at the specifications of the miners, most of them, you don't want to bring in air that's below freezing. I'm near Atlanta, Georgia here in the USA, and so we don't get a lot of days through the year that are below freezing. But there's a, there's a, a month or two where we'll have some, some days that we have some cold temperatures, and we don't want to freeze the miners. Miners like cold temperatures, so winter mining is good mining, but you really don't want to let the temperature get too cold or let the humidity get too low. I guess worst case, you can add uh, humidity to the air, maybe spray the ground or something like that with some water. <laughs> Actually, one of the things that we ran into an issue in one, in one of our facilities, because we bring in outside air, the plumbing got too cold during one of the winter days and froze and then broke. So make sure that you, you know, your plumbing doesn't get too cold and freeze. One of the things that I found useful to measure temperature and humidity is a temperature and humidity sensor. I tried getting an industrial one first, and that was kind of complicated. And I found a battery-powered, low-power Bluetooth version called Sensor Push. You can hook these up individually and connect them to your smartphone, but then you can only monitor things while you're there. Sensor Push also has a gateway that you can connect into your Wi-Fi or your wired network. And as long as it's in range of the individual sensors, it can then send that sensor information to the internet where you're able to access it all day long. So right now on my smartphone, I'm able to see the temperature and humidity at the intake, exhaust, and other different points in the mining facilities so I can keep track of the temperature and humidity. As we get into the colder part of winter, I'm gonna be looking at that more closely because I'll go turn off an intake and an exhaust fan because I have multiple ones that'll allow for some flow back of the exhaust heat to the intake heat so the intake temperature doesn't go below freezing. I like having multiple fans just because in case one of the fans breaks everything keeps going. It also allows me to turn off fans for maintenance like lubrication without shutting down the mining facility. Anyway I'll include a link to the sensor push on Amazon so you can in the show notes 
so that you can see what it looks like and what it costs. When you want to move air around, first of all, the air that you bring in, you don't want it to be full of insects and pollen and dust and other things like that. My very first place, I did that. I just brought in air and blew it through the miners. And every few months, the miners themselves would fill up with dead pieces of insects and pollen and dust, and I'd have to open them up and, and clean them out. Uh, and all the heat sinks on the hash boards would have uh, all sorts of fuzziness on them. And that's not a good way to operate long term. So you really have to have filters. So filters on the outside. And when you size your bank of filters, you want to make sure that the amount of airflow that you're going to go through the filters is appropriate and it doesn't break the filters. And you also want to set things up so you don't get water into your building. What I found that works the best is a vent filter combination where the airflow through the filter is slow enough so that it doesn't entrain too much air or too much water uh, through the system. Filters getting wet is fine. Uh, you don't want them getting completely wet and having water come through, blow through the fans onto the equipment. When you're working on the design, you should work with an engineer that is used to designing these types of systems. A lot of engineers that design data centers and other systems won't be familiar with the type of power density and airflow that a mining organization is going to look for. So the conversation that I have with an engineer when they're looking to design it is I tell them, look, this is a special purpose facility. It is a data center that's high power density, that's ambient air cooled. The high power density and ambient air cooled is very important because a lot of engineers are used to designing for air conditioning systems. If you go to a commercial data center, you'll see that an air conditioning system is essentially a chiller-evaporator combination where the chiller it runs chiller fluid, which is very cold. The air gets blown past the chiller fluid, which cools down the air. The warmer chiller fluid goes to the chiller machine, which uh, goes through an expansion and compression system, and the expanded chiller gas is cooler. When the chiller fluid comes back from the data center room, it goes through a heat exchanger where water is flowed past it. That water is taken outside to an evaporative cooler. The evaporative cooler evaporates and lets the hot water air go out and then the cooler water comes back in. That way there's a two-loop cycle. The chiller fluid cycle that cools the air down, and very similar to a split system in a, in a house, then the evaporative system outside that cools off the water. But we don't do that. Well, if you're in a really hot place and you're determined to mine in that hot place, then you may want to use air conditioning. But I'm telling you, the capital cost of putting in a chiller evaporative system is going to be significant. Even if you get used systems, the maintenance of it's going to be significant. And that goes against the philosophy of keeping low capital cost and keeping the system as simple as possible. Advice to everybody is run air-cooled systems. Make sure that the intake side of your miners has enough outside air on the exhaust side of your miners, get that air out of the building and make sure the airflow is enough so that the miners don't recirculate any hot air. Now, I have seen other ways of doing cooling systems. I've seen where people use just the fans on the miners themselves as the way 
to move air around. That puts a higher differential pressure on the fans themselves. So imagine that you have a container or a building where you put vent filters on, on the intake side, the cold air side. Then you have all the miners lined up. No way for hot air on the hot side of the miners to go back to the cold side of the miners. And then the hot air is given a path to go outside. That can work. But when you start getting into longevity, then you need to look at, first of all, how much differential pressure you're putting on each of the fans in the system. And you have to realize that the industrial fans in the system have a curve. So if you're looking to specify fans, first of all, you do want to use industrial ones, they'll have a curve of differential pressure versus airflow speed. You can have one large fan and operate it at a really high differential pressure and the effective airflow through it will be on the lower end, or you can use an intake and an exhaust fan. So by using an intake and an exhaust fan, you'll have two sets of differential pressures and you can use lower speed intake and exhaust fans. Then you won't have as much differential pressure on the actual miners themselves. But again, if you have lots of spare fans for your miners and you are happy to go through and, and replace those, those spare fans uh, on the miners when the, when the differential pressure and the, the load on those breaks them, that's fine too. That's a judgment that you have to make and you make that judgment through experience. When you're sizing your system, Make sure as you work with your heating and cooling engineer that if you specify, for example, a 40,000 cubic feet per minute fan, you got to figure out for the amount of airflow and the differential pressure, are you actually going to get 40,000 cubic feet per minute? Because if you operate it at a high differential pressure, instead of getting the 40,000 cubic feet per minute, you might actually get only 30,000 or 20,000 cubic feet per minute. So some people oversize their fans. There's a lot of different ways to do it. This is one of the reasons why I tell people that are new to the mining industry to start with a smaller set of miners, figure out your operational practices and some of the different things that you want to do, then take that design that you've built for your system that works with you in your geographic area and expand it from there. That's what we've done here over the four years. You can track the different progress of the different facilities that I've designed from scratch all the way up to the facility that we have now. And this one works well. It's been operating for about a year now. The industrial fans are working great. The filters are working great. The miners operate really well. And so we have a system that's set up and sized properly. You can also by containers that are designed to operate certain systems. The reason you end up paying a bit for these containers, and there's a, a few different providers around, is it's a known system that works. So you're getting years of engineering expertise built into a mining system container that has thousands of man hours of work and improvement designed into it. It'll be sized with the, the right size electricity. It'll have air filters. It'll have cooling. Uh, they'll have operational instructors instructions. Certainly you can build your own systems using the type of principles that I just talked about here, but it's certainly worthwhile working with someone who's done this type of thing before because it gets it can get complicated and you don't just want to set up a system. You want to set up a system and have it be able to run for many years. That's pretty much the overview of cooling. Bring in clean air that's been filtered. Get nice outside ambient temperature air to the intake of your miners on the exhaust side. Get that hot air out. Don't allow any air to recirculate. Use industrial fans. Use filtering material that you can clean 
periodically, so make sure that you set things up and design things for maintenance and access. Lubricate your fans periodically. You're going to be operating your fans 24-7, so make sure you know what the maintenance schedule is on those things. You don't want to buy five to $10,000 fans and then through lack of lubrication have the bearings wipe and have to have, to have the bearings replaced. If you're going to be using a container, you can set it up in such a way that the miners just provide the throughput of the airflow. You can set it up so the air goes crosswise through, so you have exhaust fans. Or you can set up, like I prefer on a container, to have the airflow go in one end on a double-ended container and out the other side. On the outside of your building or container, realize that hot air is going to rise and make sure that you don't have your hot air on the outside of your building or container go to the intake of the same or a different container. Those are the big picture principles. If you're setting up a mining facility or want to improve a mining facility, I'm part of an organization that does consulting and we right now do some hosting as well. It's North Georgia Crypto Mining. You can look at the show notes on my website, blockoperations.com and find out more information and feel free to reach out and contact me and me or one of my business partners will get in touch with you. That was cooling, why I don't do immersion cooling, what my recommended way of doing cooling is. This is Block Ops on the Bitcoin and Crypto Mining Podcast. Happy mining.